Welcome to Uncensored Sass, the podcast. My name is Rye. And I'm Julia. In this podcast, we discuss facts and our opinions on a variety of topics. This week, we're discussing Chinese New Year because that just happened on February 1st. Yeah. I just want to ask you, Rai, if you know anything about Chinese New Year, if you'd like to share anything before we get into the history and a little bit more information about it. So I know very minimal about Chinese New Year. I know that there are zodiac years as opposed to like the months. I know my zodiac year. I know your zodiac year because they're the same. And I know what... My one of my favorite animes taught me, and that is uh, Fruits Basket. I don't want any judgments, but Fruits Basket is amazing. I know that the year of the cat is kind of like looked down upon. I know just generally the story that they tell. I don't know what is true or not, or like what's true and what's animation. Like what is the story of the the show and what's the reality of the lore of the Zodiac. I know my Zodiac in that it's not on New Year. It's on February 1st. So the, the New Year starts different for people who follow the Chinese New Year. And that's about it. Before I get into the research, I want to correct some of the information you had mentioned. This New Year, this Chinese New Year is on February 1st. Oh, okay. The Chinese calendar follows the lunar calendar. So oh. every year the Chinese... New Year is different. Okay. Yeah. So it's not going to be February 1st next year, and it wasn't February 1st last year. It just happens to be this year. No, it's February 1st every year. I'm just kidding. You would hope. (laughs) No. Because, like, lunar calendar makes the most sense. It's, It's very interesting, too, because a lot of Native American cultures also follow the lunar calendar. Yeah. It's like a very ancient tradition that a lot of cultures tend to use because it is the cycle that changes every month. Yeah, and it makes the most sense. It's the, you can, you can physically follow it. You can physically watch it. Yeah, so like, you can always tell like this many moons ago is when this happened. And it wasn't until I was older that that statement actually made sense. Yeah. Because it always seemed like this many moons ago, like, are you live on a different planet? Yeah. So Chinese New Year, also known as the Lunar New Year, or the Spring Festival, is the most important among traditional Chinese festivals. The origin of the Chinese New Year's festival can be traced back to about 3,500 years ago. Chinese New Year has evolved over a long period of time, and its customs have undergone a long development process. That's so cool. Honestly, I would like to see, like, where the tradition started. And how they developed over the years. Because that, like, I love progress stuff. Like, where things progressively change. I love to watch those. And, honestly, Chinese traditions and the Chinese have such a great recorded history that it doesn't surprise me that we can, like, take it back that many years. That's so, that's so long ago. They had such a great way of, like, record keeping and they kept such great records but that's exciting i want to look up how they progressed so the the next information that i have was briefly mentioned in our christmas episode shout out humble brag you guys want to go check that out (laughs) shout out to the last thing we recorded this is called a legend 
of the origin of the Chinese New Year, Nian. Like the cat? What? Like the cat? Nian. It's N-I-A-N. Oh, I think Nian the cat's N-Y. But yes, Nian. Sorry, got excited. Nian. Nian. Like all traditional festivals in China, Chinese New Year is steeped with stories and myths. One of the most popular is about the mythical beast Nian. It says the pronunciation is N-Y-E-N. Uh-huh. Nian. Nian, Nian. Nian, who ate livestock, crops, and even people on the eve of the New Year. It's interesting that Nian, the yearly beast, sounds the same as the word year in Chinese. Huh. That makes sense, though. Uh, it says to prevent Nian from attacking people and causing destruction, people put food at their doors for him. Him, it, she, they. Them. Pronouns. Important. Uh, I don't know if it has an actual sex. Unfortunately, we don't know the gender identity of a deity. <laughs> okay. It's said that an old wise man figured out that Nyan was scared of loud noises, firecrackers to be specific, and the color red. People put red lanterns and red scrolls in their window and doors to stop Nyan from coming inside, and crackled bamboo later replaced by firecrackers to scare Nyan away. The monster Nyan never showed up again. Oh. He was outed. Outskies. Bye. Get out of here, Nyan. Get out of here. Get out of here, Nyan. That's cool. Red, red is such a power color. And that makes sense, though. Like, red is like fire. Red is so powerful. Red is so strong of a color. If anybody works with, like, pigments, any artists out there, you'll know. Red is one of the most pigmented colors you'll work with. And so it's so powerful as a color and it pairs so well with so many colors. Like the iconic red and gold that you're used to seeing, stunning, stunning. And fun fact, red glass is made using gold. So if you ever like, if you're ever in the market for red glass for crafts or whatever, and you're like, why is red so much more expensive than everything else? It's because it's made with gold. Anywho, that's, those are my thoughts. <laughs> I just, like, think it was interesting, too, was that they later replaced cracking bamboo with firecrackers. My assumption is it has to do more with cost than anything, because the firecracker was invented around 200 BC in China. So it's not like they were lacking for firecrackers. They, it had existed for a decent amount of time. Well, for like celebration experience, I can imagine cracking a firework is more magnificent and more like exciting, more marketable at least than cracking bamboo. No, I just mean like, why did they have to have the bamboo and then later replace it. Well, I just imagine that the practical uses of firecrackers in 200 BC are vastly different than they would have been even 100 to 200 years later. Mm -hmm. I imagine they were invented as part of warfare to either start fires or scare people or whatever. And then as technology improved their technology improved and they were able to focus in more of like an entertainment sort of way. I think that's why it had more to do with like cost efficiency because it was probably really expensive and it required a specific knowledge back then to create a firecracker. 
And it was probably super dangerous. Well, that, and I imagine that's why it was allocated just for warfare as opposed to celebration purposes. Where it feels like anybody who had firecrackers to set off during any sort of celebration was probably just royalty. Probably. And then even then, it wasn't them. It was like their guards doing it for them because of safety issues. Again, I was not around. I don't know. Yeah. So there are five different dynasties that the website that I checked out mentioned. And before we get into it, I just wanted to ask, like, do you want to know a little bit about all of them? Sure. Yeah. Hit me. Okay. All right. So the Chinese New Year's origin is in the Shang Dynasty. Chinese New Year has enjoyed a history of 3,500 years. Its exact beginning is not recorded. Some people believe that the New Year originated in the Shang Dynasty, which is as early as 1600 BC. So that's before Christ. Yeah. When people held sacrificial ceremonies in honor of the gods and ancestors at the beginning or the end of each year. Okay. I think 1600 BC says a lot. I'm not super familiar with how to pronounce a lot of Chinese. I took a very minimal amount in like seventh grade out of pure interest. My biggest takeaway from that was how similar a lot of the pronunciations were to Spanish, surprisingly. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I've only retained like a few things from it. So don't ask me to pronounce stuff for you. (laughs) Not gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, Your best bet is to Google it. Google it. Yeah. The next one is the Zhao Dynasty. It's Z-H-O-U. That's my best pronunciation of it. Again, don't come at me. I'm trying. So the term Nian, meaning year, first appeared in the Zhao Dynasty. And the earliest date I have here is 1046 BC. Yeah. It had become a custom to offer sacrifices to ancestors or gods and worship nature in order to bless harvest at the turn of the year during this dynasty. Oh, okay. That's like a please give us a prosperous year. Here's some stuff that we'd like to give you. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of like how people kind of visualize ancient cultures, you know, like sacrificing animals and that kind of thing. It's just interesting that it is like recorded having happened in China during this time. So it's not based on nothing. And it's not like they're sacrificing their pets. It's not like they're sacrificing their sisters. These are like what what's being sacrificed? They're it's like they'd be consumed anyway. These are these are animals that are for food. I mean, I would hope they would eat the animal afterwards, but I'm not 100% sure how sacrifices would work. Yeah. I don't know if you're allowed to eat the animal after you sacrifice it. No, no, no. I Yeah, no, I get that. Like, what I'm saying is you're not sacrificing your, your fluffy so you can have a good year. You're sacrificing an animal that otherwise would have been killed for food. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were going out of their way to sacrifice something totally weird. Yeah, and that makes sense, too, because, like, you know, given their thought process at the time, you'd want to sacrifice something that would be of immense value, whether you'd earn a profit off of it or your family would consume it and gain nutrients. So your pet isn't as valuable as your livestock. I mean, it's lovable, but I don't think they valued it the same way. No, they they obviously wouldn't. It would make it makes the most sense that they wouldn't sacrifice their pet for it because you lose your pet, you're sad, but if you lose livestock, you lose profit, you lose nutrients, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, so the next one is the Han Dynasty. 
This one specifically says Chinese New Year date was fixed in the Han Dynasty. Certain celebrations, activities became popular, such as burning bamboo and making loud crackling sounds. So it's about the same outside of the food sacrifice. We're back to the uh, cracking bamboo and the fireworks. Yeah, I think the main takeaway is that the date was specifically fixed. So it's like how Thanksgiving doesn't fall on the same day every year. No. It falls on like the last Thursday of November. So this, because they went off the lunar calendar, says the first day of this particular time of the lunar calendar, which is why it's almost always in late January to early February, because that day isn't specific on our Gregorian calendar, but it is a fixed date nevertheless there will always be a full moon around that time yeah it just fluctuates yeah wait so it's like the the first full moon of the year i think technically because it's considered a spring holiday so even though our spring solstice doesn't come until march for them i think it was like the start of the end of winter okay so it's like spring being the beginning of planting season yeah So that's when the new year starts. That's when you can start tilling the soil, planting stuff, and expect your uh, crops to do well. Because if you did it six weeks prior, you would get nothing. That makes sense. And with them being, you know, an entirely different country, in an entirely different continent, and an entirely different time zone, it would make sense that their spring varies from ours. Because in the middle of January and very much February, some places in the continental U.S. are still experiencing winter. Yeah, and it might also have to do with the crops that they were specifically planting and harvesting as well. Yeah. Because it could be that they didn't plant anything during their full-on dead winter, but then as soon as things started to warm up, they started planting specific crops to with the intent of harvesting them just shortly before planting even more crops because that's kind of how agriculture works today. Yeah. I can't say 100% if that's how it worked back then. Yeah. The next one is the Wei and Jin dynasty. In the Wei and Jin dynasties, apart from worshipping gods and ancestors, people began to entertain themselves. The customs of a family getting together to clean their house, having dinner, staying up late on New Year's Eve originated among common people. Okay, that's good. Yeah, this is when it actually became more of a celebration. So now you know when it is. And then, lo and behold, 20 years after the Han Dynasty, so the Han Dynasty being in 202 BC to 220 AD, now in 220 AD, the Wei and Jin Dynasties have started. And they're like, hey, let's party, dudes! Let's party, dudes! All I want to say is that the Wei and Jin dynasty lasted until 420. Just saying. We stand. Just saying. We stand. Let's party, dude. Let's. That's, what, that's what that tells me. That's when people started actually celebrating it, and they, they decided they wanted to end on 420. Let's go. go. out with a bang. Let's <laughs> go. Hell yeah. <laughs> the last one before we get into modern times is the Tang and Qing dynasties. The prosperity of economies and cultures during the Tang, Song, and Qing dynasties accelerated the development of the Spring Festival. The customs during the festival became similar to those of modern times. Setting off firecrackers, visiting relatives and friends, eating dumplings became the important parts of the celebration. More entertaining activities arose, such as watching dragon and lion dances during the temple fair 
and enjoying lantern shows. The function of the Spring Festival changed from a religious one to entertaining and social ones, more like that of today. That's so cool. I love it when, like, festivals don't like these traditions, when they come around, because they just, they enrich the lives of everyone around them. And I'm sounding really corny right now, but I, I really believe it. I think it's so much fun. It really builds morale and camaraderie amongst, like, communities. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting hearing how they evolved from a simple folklore to an actual celebration that people did with their families, and it became a tradition unlike anything else I've ever read. You know, it's it's been around longer than even, like, Christian traditions. Yes, which is so nice to to hear. Well, because, like, a lot of what we hear today is so Christ-centric. And so it's nice when something just isn't. Yeah, I just, I know growing up, I was so fascinated with Chinese culture specifically because of how old the country is. Yeah. And outside of school, not really hearing too much about what happened in East Asia, mostly just European, what happened to the slaves in Africa, you know, all really important information to take in, but hardly any history class touch too much on what happened in East Asia. Yeah. And when they did, it was very brief. It was like, here's world history. Here's your tiny chunk of East Asia. Oh, absolutely. And I'm like, but East Asia, China specifically, is huge. Massive, yeah. Massive country, massive continent, and massive time zone. And we're just going to learn about it in a single chapter. Yeah, and that, and they they tend to focus on stuff that has to do with like overpopulation, mass production of uh, cheap quality products that sells to the U.S. and other countries. And then like, oh, you know, can only have X amount of children. Okay, let's dive further. Let's dive further into this, not just focus on these bullet points that because of it, everybody, at least I'm going to assume everybody who has completed an education, at least up to 12th grade, is aware of. Yeah. And just off the top of my head, I can say that there are plenty of countries out there that I don't know about. But another prime example similar to China is India. I can't really tell you too much about India. I know what's in the media and I know like tidbits here and there. Yeah. But the only reason I know so much about China is because I had a huge fascination about it in like seventh grade. Mm -hmm. That's really it. Like if I hadn't done that on my own, there's not too much I could have told you outside of what I saw in Mulan. Oh man, we can do like a whole episode on how the education system has failed us about world history and geography. Because I feel the same way about, like, Egypt and, like, African countries and African nations and, you know, the people that you'd find there. And it's just, like, come on, it's not that hard. Yeah, I I, I just hate how, like, it feels like there's an age-appropriate amount of information that you're allowed to have up until high school. Yeah. And then high school just kind of defaults to the more specifics. You're going to learn those in college if you're interested. Yeah. It's like, no, that's kind of like what I would consider a requirement. Yeah. I feel like people today, people in general, over all over the world, not just specific to the U.S., would act differently towards their fellow man if they knew more about them. Here's the thing. Like, history classes, it's all... U.S. centric. If you look back, everything is leading up to the U.S. And so as a nation, we're so self-centered 
that everything revolves around us and then we have to be painted in the best light. So a lot of the history that we get is super doctored. It's go U.S., we're the best. And you know, for those who know, we're the fire nation. Like that's, that's what it is. We are the best. And then when you step outside the fire nation and you realize, oh my God, they're the issue. Mm -hmm. There's no room for anybody else when you're sitting at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. So on that, another thing that I wanted to mention is that I see all over social media, all over the internet, all of this hype about the Zodiac, Mm -hmm. right? And this is specifically the Greek Zodiac. You're such a Pisces. That's such a Leo thing to say. Yeah. I hardly ever see it with the Chinese Zodiac, which, as we mentioned, has been around for over 3,500 years. Yeah. Where is the, you're such a rat, that's such a tiger thing to say, you know, that's such a rabbit Zodiac thing to say. Let's bring that back. Let's make that a thing. And here's, here's the thing about it, too, is for some reason, there are different traits that people can allocate to being a different Zodiac. Yeah within the greek zodiac but your birthday doesn't change so you and i are leos we're never gonna not be leos and then they come up with like this you're on the cusp of or you're a you know sagittarius rising yeah so they have all of these different star charts and birth charts for the greek zodiac but they hardly ever you hardly ever see any sort of divergence or crossover for somebody whose birth year was say like the rabbit or the dragon you're not like a rabbit, but with dragon traits. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, like, that's always been kind of interesting to me is to see that, like, it's specific to China because it's a Chinese zodiac, but it's been celebrated all over the world and in vast different countries. Like, Japan even celebrates it, and they're not exclusively Chinese. Yeah. (laughs) Not in the least. No. No. Not in the least. I think that the fascination with the monthly zodiac as opposed to the yearly which is the chinese zodiac is that we celebrate our birthday by the day and the month we don't celebrate it by the year and so it's easier for us in a group like a group of friends to to segregate ourselves based on our birth months and i just think that's more appealing because we celebrate our birthday and month. Sometimes, you know, people celebrate the whole last month. But, like, August will come around every year. 1990 is done and gone. True. I just think that's the thing. The Chinese zodiac reoccurs. So it's not like the horse has come and gone. You're never going to see him again. You're going to see him in 12 years. And I know that that's a long time to wait. <laughs> so then why not celebrate, like, oh, this year, this upcoming year is going to be this. So let's celebrate what kind of, like, fortune we have to look forward to, what kind of traits we have to look forward to. It seems like it's just kind of like a cemented thing, and maybe this is more into, like, traditional Chinese culture as opposed to how I would like it to be. Mm -hmm. But it feels like it's like, this is your birth year, these are your traits, deal with it, move on. (laughs) Like, there's no, like, you have a little bit of this and a little bit of this. It's like, nope, this is what you have. Okay, thanks, bye. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is like when the year of the horse, you're just gonna we're just gonna celebrate me all year. Yeah, we're just gonna celebrate anybody who's born in 1990 all, all year, long. year long. Deal with it. I have to wait 12 years for this. 
I have never been so on board with something in my life. I mean, I think we could definitely do that more. I think we could definitely, I think there's definitely room to do that more. But here's the issue, here's an issue, is that with, like, that kind of widespread celebration comes adaptation and appropriation and theft and things handled not necessarily with respect. I think that's already happening with the Chinese Zodiac. I mean, you're probably not wrong, but I think that the more that we encourage the widespread use a lot like the Roman Zodiac, a lot more is going to happen. And the difference between the Chinese Zodiac and the Roman Zodiac for me when it comes to this kind of issue is that Romans aren't being oppressed. Romans aren't being, they're not being hate-crimed, right? Not anymore. They don't exist. I mean, sure. Yeah. But at the end of the day, <laughs> they're white people. And so it's less offensive to take what they did and twist it, change it, appropriate it, because they're not going to be upset. They're not, um, they're not an oppressed people. They're not a minority. I mean, they're just gone. But, and, you know, and we still have... Chinese citizens who are American and non-American who are facing lots and lots of issues be just simply because they are Asian or Chinese. So I think it's it's something that needs to be handled a little bit more sensitively than maybe the manipulation of the Roman zodiac. It is kind of a touchy topic, so I get that like you know, you wouldn't want people to say like, oh, I'm just going to take the Chinese Zodiac and just bastardize it because I feel like it. But let's also just kind of keep in mind that it's been around for 3,500 years. So it's been said and done. Yeah. And that doesn't make it okay, but it has been said and done. Yeah. It's not like that's a worry going forward. It's already a thing. Well, like there are still people who actively practice it. It's it's a fine line between appreciation and appropriation. And I, I think we as white people have a really hard time understanding the line and where that where it is. And it's not really that hard to understand. All you have to do is listen to, you know, the people that you're taking from. To them, what is appreciation, what's appropriation? It's not that... Just listen to people of color, man. It's not that hard. I mean, going forward into, like, celebrating the actual animals, I did want to ask... Do you know all of the 12 animals? Oh, I can name off as many as I can remember. Because, like, you really liked Fruits Basket, so I wasn't sure how many of them they actually cover. I love Fruits Basket. So, they've got the cat, the dog, the mouse, the tiger, the horse. They've got the dragon. They've got... Did I say rabbit? Nope. The rabbit! Bunny, bunny. Bun, bun. They have got the bull. They've got, I'm trying to remember, but my memory, not so good. The snake. Mm -hmm. That's nine. I think nine out of 12 isn't bad. (laughs) So the cat's not actually on there. Dang it. Eight out of 12 ain't bad. (laughs) You knew that, though. You knew that. I did. (laughs) Justice for Keo. I'll list them off for you. Thank you. There's the rat, ox, tiger, rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, goat, monkey, rooster, dog, and pig. Man, I'm so I'm so dumb. I, that all makes so much sense. 
I wouldn't call yourself dumb. I'm literally looking at it, so. I mean, fair. I'm just, like, listening to it back, and I'm like, you knew that. Oh, you knew that one, too. God damn it, you knew that one. I always thought it was interesting because it's the Chinese Zodiac, right? And so these are all supposed to be animals that they kind of dealt with. So in that, we don't have the cat for the story's reason. And then we have a dragon. Yeah. But where's the panda? The panda couldn't make it in time. It just walked too slow. Right? So it's like, I'm thinking about actual animals in China, because I watch a lot of nature documentaries, and the one thing that obviously comes to mind, the symbol of China, the panda. The panda, yeah. The fuck? Well, maybe the panda was the symbol of them, and they're not a part of the zodiac, and so ipso facto, the panda is not part of the zodiac. Well, then why would you have animal traits based on the year that you're born? Who wants to be like a panda? All you do is eat I mean, I want to be fluffy and adorable. (laughs) And yeah, all I want to do is eat and sleep. Maybe that's why the cat's not on there either. (laughs) They they don't even reproduce at a steady enough rate to not be endangered. They've been endangered our entire lives because they just don't fuck. (laughs) Our entire lives, but not when the Zodiac was created. I can't imagine their, their desire to fuck has changed. I mean, clearly, if they've only recently been discovered as endangered. But, you know. (laughs) I don't... I mean, all I can account for is the 30 years that I've been around. (laughs) Yeah, that's which is, like, a molecule of a fraction of the amount of time this Zodiac has been around. So who knows? Maybe they were rabid fuckers back then. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they were just... They were just as uninterested. Like, pandas are just asexuals. Yeah. And it wasn't until we had something to measure endangered species on to which we were just like, oh, they in trouble. Oh, they've been in trouble this whole time. They've been <laughs> barely hanging on since their <laughs> creation of existence. Fucking just enough to reproduce. <laughs> all right. So I know that we just listed them all off. We did, yeah. But do you happen to know our mutual zodiac signs personality traits i don't i know what it is but i don't know what i don't know what the traits of it are you might be shocked or you might not i don't know but i'll i'll tell them to you all right i'm excited animated active and energetic i think that kind of like describes me a bit but we haven't actually said what our zodiac is okay um well you can tell them then So, being born in 1990, our zodiac is the horse. We have long legs. We are very tall. We have lots and lots of hair, and we run all the time, just like horses do. Yes, and we also eat hay. We just strictly (laughs) hay. Yeah, we exclusively eat hay and oats and carrots. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are actually my three favorite foods right there. Hay, oats, and carrots. If I could have uh, hay and carrot oatmeal, it's my, it's my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you first learn about the Chinese Zodiac? I was in the fifth grade. And from what I can remember, all we learned was about the twelve. It was like we spent one day on it for like an hour. We made little like paper mache projects and then we moved on. It was not much, but I just like, I was like, I am the year of the horse. I'm the year of the horse. Yeah. And it was like 
I was like the status symbol because like at least I wasn't the rat or at least I wasn't some like you know an animal that like means you're stupid because in fifth grade there's like yeah nobody wants to be the rat or the snake or the pig back then yeah exactly regardless of what their actual traits are and their hierarchy in the zodiac when you're in fifth grade you're like I don't want to be a pig (laughs) especially if you're a girl (laughs) yeah the connotation is negative so I was like haha I'm a horse respect me yeah well I mean the big thing too was if you were in a grade with a bunch of different people around your same age they were probably somewhere within the same like group if not the exact same year so it's like the majority of them the year of the horse like I know so it's like we're all like oh what year what what's your what's your zodiac oh the horse what's yours also the horse oh my god we've got a horse club Oh, it's just a classroom full of horse girls. <laughs> it's a classroom full of horse girls. Yes. Yeah, I remember wanting to be the tiger because it was the closest thing they had to a cat. Yeah. They didn't have a cat. They had a tiger. And then the next thing I was like, when I got older, I was like, why can't I be the dragon? And then I found out my brother was the dragon and I was super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I want to be the dragon. The dragon's cool. I'm the dragon. I get to be the horse. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. My my sisters are the rooster, and we've always referred to them as twin cocks because they're both Geminis. <laughs> so it's twins, born in, in June, so they're Geminis, and they're just roosters, so it's like twin cocks. <laughs> I feel like such a bad sibling. I don't know my siblings' years. <laughs> oh my god. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I promise I love you, my siblings. I know almost everybody's, because again, I had a huge fascination with it, so I was like, what year are you? <laughs> what, what, what's your Greek zodiac and what, what year are you? <laughs> I did not ask yeah, anybody. Like, I was just like, I just cared that I was the year of the horse, and that all, that's all that mattered. Yeah, I, I also wanted to, um, like, I, I knew my mom's was the monkey. And she's also a Libra, so I've always imagined, like, the monkey with, like, the eyes and hand thing. But, like, one of them's also holding up a scale. (laughs) Yeah, the, like, hear no evil, see no evil. But one of them just happens to have a scale or they're sitting on a scale. See no evil, speak no evil, weigh no evil. Yeah, be a monkey, have a scale. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. But, yeah, I always liked that, the Chinese Zodiac. My first... I think my first actual introduction into it was when I read a book in, like, elementary school, super young, and it was called The Cat Who Went to Heaven. It's a 1930 novel by Elizabeth Coatsworth. Okay. It's a children's book, but it's only, like, maybe 12 chapters, and it's, like, 100 pages, super short. I read it when I was in, like, elementary school, and obviously I read it because it had a cat. It was about a cat. Uh huh. But I learned a few things from that book, mainly about the Chinese Zodiac, because the entire book, spoilers, the entire book is about a poor Japanese artist who is commissioned to paint a portrait for a local temple about the Chinese Zodiac. During this journey, he is befriended by a three-colored cat who comes into his house and eats, like, leftover food and is just good fortune, good comfort. Sounds like a cat. Initially, the artist doesn't want the cat, doesn't like the cat, but then he realizes that the cat is three-colored, and then he, you know, makes the connection that 
three colored cats are actually considered good luck in his culture. Aww. It told us about the background story of the Chinese Zodiac. Mm -hmm. I did want to ask, because we've mentioned it a couple of times, and because you're such a big fan of the show, do you actually know or can you tell our audience what the story behind the Chinese Zodiac is and why the cat is not in it? So, according to the show... So there's a god and 13 animals, and the god invites all of the animals to come to a feast once a year. And the rat, being mischievous, tells the cat a different day than the actual feast is. And then the rat rides the ox on the journey to the god where they go and have the feast. Well, the feast happens and the cat never shows up. And then the cat finds out that the rat lied to the cat so that the cat would not show up. And so because the cat does not show up to the feast, it is not welcome to any previous, to any next years. And so it is excluded from the Zodiac as a year because it did not show up to the feast because it was fed wrong information from the rat. And so there's this, in the show, there's this rivalry between the character that plays the cat and the character that plays the rat. So, yeah, that's basically, that's what the book that I read went over as well. The one thing the book mentioned that I didn't hear from your reiteration of the show, may have mentioned it, may not, but I didn't watch it. But the book says that the animals were going to a feast for dying Buddha. Okay. Meaning they were going to heaven. That's why it's the cat who went to heaven. Gotcha. Okay. So it's that's why it's like the cat didn't get to go into heaven. Therefore, it doesn't get to be part of the Chinese Zodiac, which helps with people's like birth dates and stuff, which is just, you know, interesting. Uh, another good correlation or another relation to it is that I've always found it interesting that in ancient Egypt, the cat was worshipped. Yeah. And it was almost revered as a god and became the guardians of the underworld. And in China, they're not in heaven. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's that might be why they're not in heaven. Because they're guarding the underworld. There might be some influence there. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was neat. I wanted to mention it. But yeah, in the show, the dying Buddha character is just God. It's just their god character, not know any specific deity. Yeah, that also might be because specifically Buddha didn't want to be revered as a god. Yeah. He wanted people to believe in the same type of stuff he did, but he didn't want to be worshipped as though he was a god. And he was ignored on that part. Yeah. But I think that his main message is good. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think we covered it all. This has been Uncensored Sass, the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. For behind-the-scenes looks and some extra content, check out our fanhouse at fanhouse.app backslash uncensored sass. Use code sass to get one month free. Check out our YouTube to see any of the episodes in video form and for when we go live and do a live-streamed episode. If you'd like to keep up with us between episodes, check us out on Twitter at uncensored sass. If you follow us between episodes on Twitter, we'll give you a quick shout out. That being said, let me go ahead and give some quick shout outs to our new followers. Araya Jade, Ghoulie Ghoul, Kopaksadl, Illithid72, 
flower underscore frank underscore him again podcast. Thank you all so much for following. And thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Julia. You can find me on all of my socials using my screen name, LoserBibi, that's L-O-S-E-R-B-I-B-I, unless you follow me on Twitter, then it will be L-O-S-E-R-B-I-B-I-I. We're currently experiencing an issue with storage on our Podbean. Unfortunately, this means that we will have to cycle out our earlier episodes, which will still be available on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, we are going to be having our first live episode on February 8th at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I can be found all over the internet at the OKS. That's T-H-3-O-K-A-Y-E-S-T. If you'd like to catch me between episodes, I can be found streaming on Twitch at the OKist and on Twitter also at the OKist. If you'd like to come support me, you can come drop me a follow. I also have my own fan house that's at the OKist as well. But supporting the podcast is supporting me, so I'm happy either way. Bye! Bye. Who wants to be like a panda?